This week on the Iowa Watch Connection. There's no doubt that it's something that will be brought up in in the primary and obviously certainly into the general election. Republicans will have to make a choice for governor in the June 5th primary. Instead of always focusing on the negative, let's talk about the positive and let's talk about what good things are happening in the state. Both candidates have experience. Both candidates have support. So a competitive primary is good. It gets the candidates out there. It makes the candidates sharper. And it helps us define our message. The GOP race for governor. Our topic this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism. Online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein. When Terry Branstead resigned as governor last May to become U.S. ambassador to China, it meant the longest-serving governor in U.S. history would be leaving office, and that opened up the 2018 race. Then-Lieutenant Governor Kim Reynolds assumed the top job, becoming the first woman in history to serve as Iowa governor. Some who had been contemplating the race, thinking Branstead might retire, stepped aside, since Reynolds would be an incumbent but not an elected incumbent, a distinction that Ron Corbett of Cedar Rapids thinks is important. He declared his candidacy in Cedar Rapids last June 20th. For her part, Reynolds only officially made her intentions known on March 7th, declaring her candidacy in Osceola. We'll hear from both in this week's program. After Reynolds announced her run earlier this month, she and Acting Lieutenant Governor Adam Gregg toured the state, making campaign appearances. One was in Cedar Falls on Friday afternoon, March 9th. I talked with her then shortly after she spoke to two dozen supporters. What are you hoping those who may have heard you for the first time, Uh what are you hoping they came away feeling? That there's all kinds of opportunity in Iowa, That uh, and that's our whole goal, is to unleash opportunities and, and give every Iowan the, the chance to succeed no matter where they are in the state. So the other thing I think that I hope they came around, away with is that there are great things happening in this state. And sometimes all we hear about is the negative, that we don't step back and talk about the positive things that are happening. And certainly the number one state in the country by U.S. News and World Report is a great you know, recognition of what people are doing in communities all across the state to make a difference. And that recognition is a reflection of them. It's a reflection of our hard work, of our values, and of Iowans that are working to make a difference. So, you know, we have the number one graduation rate uh, in the country. We have more kids taking dual enrollment than any other state or taking community college classes while they're in high school. Uh, We're reducing taxes. We're putting in place pro-growth policies that really provide the stability for job creators in business and industry to invest and expand and locate in Iowa. So I think it's exciting. Uh, as I travel the state and talk to business and industry, they're, they're, they're optimistic, they're growing, they just need people. And so when I hear that, I say, this is an opportunity for Iowans. So we want to work with, first of all, our pipeline, our kids that are in high school, and let right. them know the opportunities that exist within our communities and adult learners or somebody that wants to change a career or advance, help them maybe go back to school and get that degree. And how do we do that tangibly? And I say that because the national unemployment numbers came out today and the only dark spot is the skilled trades. How do we get that turned around? You and I have talked about it on the radio. Others have as well. 
How do we get from point A to point B? Well, it's just it's exposing our students sooner rather than later, and it's going to where adult learners are at and helping them uh, see that there is a great job around the corner. Here's the skills you need to to get that job, and then kind of you know provide them the support system that they need to get them stabilized, get the skills, and get them employed. But really, for the pipeline, we need to be starting in in elementary and junior high and high school, and let kids get in these companies. Let them see that this is a great job that you know you can be a welder or a plumber or an electrician or a construction worker and uh, these are great jobs great opportunities especially in manufacturing because it's so technical and automated I don't think they they the parents especially don't think about it in those terms and it's a great opportunity over the last year and a few months since we've talked on the radio maybe a half dozen times we've talked about your story and you talked about it here uh, working uh, outside the home uh, having an elected office, being a wife, a mother, a grandmother. You've also been very public about yeah. overcoming some addiction. Yeah. So I want to know the body of experience. Mm -hmm. What does that do to help you be uniquely qualified, all of those things, to be uniquely qualified to lead the state of Iowa into this next pivotal stage in our history? Well, I think, you know, that's what Iowans all across the state are dealing with, and so I've certainly lived that. It's a part of who I am. Uh, we raised three girls. It was uh, We had to figure out a way to make ends meet. Uh, it was important to me to get my education and not give up on that. In the middle of that, you know, I happened to, you know, uh, struggle with an alcohol addiction. I'm in recovery. I've been in recovery for 18 years. And so that, you know, I don't know very many families that don't know somebody that's struggling with an addiction, and especially when we talk about the opioid crisis that's really, you know, moving across this country and across our state. We want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to keep Iowans healthy and to help them address an addiction if they have one, hopefully prevent it from uh, happening. So we, we want to make sure that we're providing opportunities for Iowans to have a great quality of life and be successful in our state. And I just, uh, it's its its my story, but I really think it's the Iowa story. I, it's not just me, it's what, it, it it's reflective of Iowa. And the fact that even with some, you know, setbacks maybe along the way, you know, if you're really still determined to do something or to make a difference, you can. When you look at this primary first, yep. obviously, there will be a lot of Republicans. There will be independents who vote as Republicans for a day. Yeah. What do they need to know, first of all, about why you are the best of the entire field, yeah. potentially, yeah. to lead? And what distinguishes you uh -huh. from Mr. Corbett, who is your Republican opponent? Well, you know, I think if you're doing the job, then it, take care, it takes care of itself. And so I'm really proud of the record that we put in place over the last seven years. So it's one thing to talk about it, but I think we've laid out a vision and we've um, implemented that vision. And I think, you know, working with Iowans and with a great team and with the legislature, I think the last legislative session will go down as the most pro-job, pro-growth legislative session in decades. And I think that's one of the reasons we're seeing some of the benefits that we're seeing now. So, you know, I think I have a good record going into this race. I think we've got a lot of positive things happening in Iowa. The number one state in the country is a great recognition of that, and we want to continue to build on that. We're never satisfied with the status quo. I say that over and over. So that's why we're working on um, uh, tax reform this legislative session. It's why I was proud to pass water quality. It's why I made mental health a priority. 
and we have comprehensive mental health reform that just passed. It's the and I talked about a lot of them in my condition of the state. Uh, that's passed the House, 98 to nothing, and it will go to the Senate. And I believe I'll have that on my bill in the next couple days. A Future Ready Iowa initiative to get Iowans the skills. It's about opportunities. We want to help Iowans find the opportunities to have a great career. Uh, we've got a program that we've worked on that I believe will do that, and so uh, we should hopefully get that on my desk before the end of the session too. So we're going to keep working on good stuff. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds from an interview conducted two days after she declared her candidacy. We'll hear from her opponent, former House Speaker and former Cedar Rapids Mayor Ron Corbett in a moment. But first, the thoughts of Lee Enterprises Des Moines Bureau Chief Aaron Murphy. We spoke in Des Moines on February 26th, shortly after the man hired to run a Reynolds campaign resigned and as Governor Reynolds herself was facing criticism from opponents that some of the state's current budget problem could have been avoided with a special session last fall to make budget cuts sooner in the fiscal year. It'll certainly get raised. Um, is that a big enough issue to make that a competitive race? I think most people that um, I've talked to um, and, and experts that are looking at this still would see that as, as a big climb for a Republican challenger, including Ron Corbett. But it's certainly going to be something that's going to be discussed and, and is, is going to be ripe for an opponent to criticize her for. How will voters respond to that? I don't know. She'll, she'll, uh, you know, she'll make the pitch in her defense that she was trying to do the best thing for the state and be and be fiscally responsible and her opponents will suggest that that was not the case and, and it'll be up to the voters to decide um, but it that there's no doubt that it's something that will be brought up um, in, in the primary and obviously certainly into the general election the only way that I can think that it would have some impact on the primary is either if Republicans who may have overtly supported her get a little squeamish and vote differently or if there's some polling data to show that he for example shows up better against the leading democrats yeah, against the, generic, yeah. the the concept of you know if you did a uh, corbett versus bolton race as opposed to a reynolds versus bolton or hubble or any of the i think it's 96 other democrats who are running <laughs> still um, I don't know it's, that it's something that derails them necessarily. Again, and, 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 and I'm not, you know, sitting here saying that the election is over or anything. I'm just, you know, when you look at the metrics, you look at what she's done in fundraising and what she has in support and everything else. In the primary, she appears to be in very good position. So there's still time to have a campaign uh, shakeup of some sort at this point and, and still be able to get through the primary and have time to get your legs about you for the general election. With regard to the Democrat race for governor, mm -hmm. we and as I was taking a walk through downtown, I saw the sign for the Bolton headquarters, mm -hmm. just stumbled upon that. Mm -hmm. It seems to be Bolton. It seems to be Hubble. Uh, Kathy Glosson is certainly active and has mm -hmm. had some ads, but you do have literally, I think, four or five other people. Six total, yep. Normally in a situation like this, you'd get closer to a primary and somebody would say, well, I don't have enough money. I don't yeah. have uh, what I need. But I get a sense that there's going to be a committed half dozen on the ballot in June because the concept is nobody's going to win in the primary. And if it's got to go to convention exactly. anyway, the David Young example from the 3rd District is the best one where he had a five-way okay. primary back in 2014. He mm -hmm. finished fifth and got the nomination and is now Congressman Young today. And you're exactly right. And that's why I, don't, I think we'll go with 
as, as long as they all get enough signatures to get on the ballot, um, I think we'll have all of them on the ballot for that exact reason. The, the hope for those people who haven't made the headway at the top, um, either through being able to raise enough money to get on TV and uh, or, or draw enough support from the establishment Democrats, for those other folks who are still trying to scrap and get to that top tier, their hope is that the ones at the top all draw enough support off each other that nobody gets to that magical 35% number that if, if no one is voted by at least 35% that it goes to convention, now the party people nominate them. And, and these are and, the delegates, and, and it all started with the precinct caucuses. Exactly, exactly. So, and, and candidates have been laying the groundwork for that since they got into the race, really, knowing that this was a possibility. So there's not a lot of incentive for those other tier folks to, to drop out right now. They can stick around. They can do the easy campaigning, driving around to, and by easy I mean inexpensive, mm -hmm. uh, by driving around to the local party functions and speaking to as many Democrats as they can and hope that it goes to a convention and see if, if their shots are there. Coming up, we'll hear from Kim Reynolds' opponent in the June 5th Republican primary, Ron Corbett. That's next as the Iowa Watch Connection continues. Support for the Iowa Watch Connection comes from the Iowa Insurance Division's Iowa Fraud Fighters Program. This statewide initiative educates Iowans on how to double-check before they invest and shield their savings from scammers. Thousands of Iowans have attended fraud fighter forums across the state to learn about new scams circulating in their area and how to stay a step ahead of fraudsters. Learn how to fight fraud and why it is important to report scams at iowafraudfighters.gov. The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. Ron Corbett served as Iowa Speaker of the House in the 1990s and more recently as Mayor of Cedar Rapids. He completed his eighth year in that position in January 2018. Last year, as he explored a run for governor, he published a book called Beyond Promises. Not long after, he officially declared his candidacy. We spoke at the time the book came out. Yeah, in 1999, I, I walked away from the legislature, and I was the Speaker of the House, the top Republican in the state. It was kind of a, a little bit of irony because it was the ending of Governor Branstad's uh, first uh, time as governor, and he was talking about spending more time with his kids, and they were all grown, 19, 20, and in that age. And I'm thinking of my own children who were, you know, very young. I had uh, four under the age of seven at the time and one more on the way. And then Governor Vilsack was, you know, coming in uh, as the new governor. And I guess as I saw both of that change, I thought to myself, you know, I love public policy, but 
I've got to put my family first, not public policy first. So I moved back to Cedar Rapids, stayed involved with the community through the Chamber of Commerce and working in the private sector. And it was after the uh, flood that I got back into to government uh, as, a, as a mayor. So maybe back in 1998, a lot of people thought maybe it was my turn to run for higher office, but it wasn't my time. Now I, I kind of feel it, it is my time. And as far as the ability to campaign and do what you need to do to go around the state, um, you don't have that tug for uh, your family. And I think Governor Vilsack probably said it best, and I use his quote in my uh, book. He says, you can always run for office, whether you're 38, 48, 58, but you can only watch your children grow up once. How have you evolved in your thinking on some issues from the time you were holding the speakership to now 20 years later? Yeah, I tried uh, a couple times when I was speaker to, to get the death penalty passed. And, you know, one time we were successful at getting it uh, at least passed the House and it failed in the Senate. It just took an extraordinary amount of uh, time and it's very a uh, emotional issue. I mean, people have uh, strong feelings on that. And over time, I've, I still support the death penalty in a, in a limited fashion. But my advice would be to the legislature, you know, next year in the future years. And I don't think it's worth uh, the distraction on some other really in, uh, important issues, whether it's improving K through 12 education or getting our health care back to normal, uh, taking care of our water quality or modernizing our income taxes. I think those issues are more broad based and will benefit Iowa more in the long run by giving our attention to that versus uh, jumping on the emotional issue of the death penalty. Are there other issues that Ron Corbett in 2018 looks at differently than Ron Corbett did in 1998. Well, I certainly have a much greater appreciation for for local government. You know, when I first got elected in 86, I was a state legislator. And you're in Des Moines for the three to four month period. And you know, you're very popular in the state capitol, but when you come home, a lot of people don't know who you are or, or recognize you. When you're a, a local government official, uh, like a mayor, you're really on the, the tip of the spear. I mean, it's amazing what type of uh, feedback I get from, you know, citizens, whether it's uh, you know, traditional issues like uh, potholes or loud motorcycles driving uh, through the neighborhood. And you just uh, see a different uh, face of government at the local level. So I've, I've come to really appreciate what county supervisors, mayors, and city council, local boards have to, to deal with. And I'm somewhat disturbed at some of the bills that were passed this year that remove local control. And I would be against that uh, as a governor. I would want to give more uh, local control because really the solutions for a lot of the challenges aren't in Washington, D.C., and, you know, frankly, they're not at the state capitol. They're in the, the local uh, governments around the state of Iowa. What do you say to Republicans, some of whom were looking at the race like you and when things played out, as they did with Governor Branstead leaving, then the lieutenant governor becoming, in essence, an incumbent, they said they were going to stay out. So what do you say to Republicans who aren't looking forward to a primary fight because sometimes those can be a bit divisive. 
Well, I say two things. Uh, one, Governor Branstad, when he first ran for governor, had a primary, and then later on was challenged in 1994 by Congressman Fred Grandy. So he had two primaries in his first uh, terms as governor, and then when he came back in 2010, he had a primary. So that's the first thing I say. And the second thing I say is Senator Joni Ernst. Senator Ernst uh, really used that primary as a slingshot for her campaign. Remember, it was uh, a competitive primary. Uh, She wasn't even the leader uh, in some of the early polling. But that primary really helped her. And I think if you ask Senator Ernst, she'd tell you the same thing, that, boy, that primary gave me the momentum. You look at on the Democrat side what Bruce Braley tried to do. He tried to coalesce the party behind him, get all the establishment and the major donors behind him, and and basically forced out all the competition. He didn't have a primary, and he was flat-footed. And he never really caught uh, Senator Ernst or Joni Ernst at the time. She was ahead the whole way and ended up being victorious. So there are a lot of uh, establishment people, a lot of people that are part of the special interest group uh, organization. Yeah, they're trying to clear the field. So Kim Reynolds has uh, no primary, you know, going into the general election. I think for us to make the same mistake the Democrats made a few years ago would be uh, devastating. So a competitive primary is good. It gets the candidates out there. It makes the candidates sharper, and it helps us define our message. Ron Corbett, Republican candidate for governor, in an interview from around the time he declared his candidacy last summer. Corbett has since sharply criticized Governor Kim Reynolds for what he calls a timid lack of leadership on budget issues and on tax reform. Corbett himself has proposed a flat tax and says he would have called the legislature back into special session last year when it was clear the state's budget would not balance. To be sure, Republican voters have much to consider that separates the two when they cast their ballots for the June 5th primary election. And in the interest of balance, we'll note to you that each of the two candidates got virtually identical amount of time on this program, literally within about five seconds of one another. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can connect with us online, iowawatch.org. Click on the Iowa Watch Connection tab at the top of the page to listen to all or part of this program again for a list of stations that carry the program and more. iowawatch.org. Follow us on Twitter at Iowa Watch and be sure to use the hashtag IAWatchConnection when commenting about the program. And you can let us know your thoughts about this program or suggest ideas for future programs by email. The address is radio at iowawatch.org. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week. The Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org.